we went over the different scriptures last week, the results of, of despising God's word, what happens, how God will despise us, and when we call on him in the time of trouble, he'll not hear us. So that's what we talked about, what is prophesying. But then we want to talk about what is despising. First of all, in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 5, you see, God does all things well, and He does all things decently and in order, because that's what He commands of us. And you know, it would have been ridiculous for the Lord to have called Joseph to be the one to adopt Jesus as His father, earthly father, and not to have called Mary to fall in love with Joseph. It would have been foolishness for God to work on one end without working on the other end. And I want to show you both ends of this, of this aspect of despising prophesying. In 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, beginning with the first verse, Paul, the apostle, declares God's will to Timothy concerning the preaching of the word. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, time and time again in the New Testament, you'll find this dual phrase or dual description here of two separate beings of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Here's what Timothy is to do. Any faithful preacher is to do. Any faithful Christian is to do, really. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not hear sound doctrine. Now, to whom is Timothy to preach these things? To Christians. Why, Timothy, should you do it faithfully right now? Because Paul says, because the time is going to come when in the church, he's still talking about the church, when they will not endure sound doctrine, they won't put up with it, they won't listen to it, they'll try to get away from sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They'll just gather around them the ones that say the things they want to hear. Now let me tell you, if I've ever seen that in my whole life, of all the years I've been a Christian, I'm seeing it in these last days. We've got a special message, let's all rally around this one message. We've got a special message, let's all rally around this one message over here. Especially if they hear something that they don't like to hear, they will run from it and gather a group of people around them to hear only the things they want to hear. And if you are not a part of that group, we do not listen to you any whatsoever. And he said, this was going to happen in the last days. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. It's hard to turn to untruth without turning away from truth. You can't hear both of them. So they're, first of all, they're going, to be, they're going to know truth, and then they're going to turn away from truth, and they're going to turn unto fables. In another place it says they will turn from the truth to doctrines of demons. And if it were possible, the Scripture says in the last days, if the very elect themselves would be deceived. Now, the thing I want to get across to you is Paul said, Timothy, preach the word, preach the word, preach it to the believers. Now, if that's the case, then God should is reciprocating here in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he says, don't despise preaching. Don't despise the preaching of the word. Now, what constitutes despising? First of all, I believe, and I'm seeing it more and more in these days in the church, despising the hearing of God's word is the refusing to attend and hear messages that are to be declared for God's people. You see, God calls a pastor to a church, any church, if he's called of God. During that week, he has to search his own heart, cry out to God for a message for that flock. 
In this day and age, there are many people who say, well, this may be the old last nice weekend we're going to have. Let's go to the beach. This might be the last opportunity we'll have to get the plant out in the yard. Let's stay home. Well, we've got relatives coming from out of town. And so the Lord lays on his heart the messages for that particular Sunday, and he comes, and a lot of the people aren't there. Back in the days when the book of Hebrews was written, a tremendous price was involved if they went to church. The law in that day was that if they went to that believer's home and found that they were not at home, they could go in and take everything they had, walk away with everything. And the writer to the Hebrews says, don't you forsake the assembling of yourselves together just because you're going to lose your earthly goods. Don't use that as an excuse. Get on to fellowship. You need that fellowship. All the more as you see that day approaching. I was astounded when I went to North Dakota and Minnesota Virtually no churches have Sunday night services up there anymore. Very, very few of them even have Wednesday night services anymore. And you see, I see this drift that's taking place. You're not hearing much about the second coming of Jesus Christ anymore. You're not hearing anything about revivals or soul winning. And the Word of God says, all the more. Get together all the more as you see that day approaching. But we're seeing a despising of the Word. We're hearing... Well, we, don't, we, we just don't need to go to church that much. Church isn't that necessary anymore. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, beginning with verse 24, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, to stimulate or to arouse one another to good works. Get after each other to good works. It is happening in his day already as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. He's saying, first of all, it's disobedience to forsake the assembling of the selves. But he's also implying here that when you do not fellowship as you ought to on a continuing basis, you open yourself up and you find it easier to sin. But a certain fearful looking for judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye that he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despot unto the Spirit of grace." But we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's giving a, a very heavy warning here to them, saying how important it is not to despise the preaching of God's Word and the teaching of God's Word and to be involved. Now, we're living in a day now where Sunday used to be a holy day. I remember when I became a Christian, new Christian, if somebody worked on Sunday, it had to be a very dire situation that would make them to go out and work on Sunday. I mean, they would make every effort, and in some places they would quit a job and work somewhere else so they didn't have to work on Sunday. They felt that Sunday was the Lord's day and they were to be in the house of God and they would not set that aside for anything. I mean, very seldom did you ever hear of someone, unless it was their annual vacation, that would take the weekend and go off and do their own thing. Very seldom did they do that. Now, we're in a more mobile society today. I understand that. But again, their real concern was that they didn't miss fellowship with God's people in the Lord's house. 
I have a hard time saying in the Lord's house, in, in the church, place where the Lord's body met together. And then when I was a, a new Christian, very seldom was anything opened on Sunday. And I can remember where one man in our church out in Englewood, Colorado, quit a store when they opened up on Sunday. He said, I just do not feel the Lord wants me to work on Sunday. I've, I've known a Christian businessman who will close his business on Sunday and then go to another place of business and, and buy things on Sunday when they close their own business, which I really had some problems with that. But what I'm saying is we're seeing this decline. Do you, have you noticed the decline, spiritual decline? It used to be that nothing was open on Sundays. Then the grocery stores opened up on Sundays. And, and then before long, they had started putting liquor in the grocery stores. And then the rest of the, the shopping centers started opening up. And then the bars started opening up on the Lord's Day. And I mean, it's, it's just business as usual anymore. Sunday is sometimes one of their biggest days of uh, shopping. Now, I don't blame the world. I blame the church. You see, again, we have tried as a church to limit the world and say you can't do that on Sunday because that's our Lord's Day. That's our day of worship. That's not the way you limit the, the world. The best day, the thing to do is go out and win them to Christ. And when they come and they get in the majority, then the businesses will say there's not enough people that want to go shopping on the Lord's Day. But, you know, many Christians today don't think a thing of it. Well, let's just get all of our shopping done today and then we can just have it taken care of for the rest of the week. Well, I'm just trying to show you that there's a general decline in the, in the principles that, that God's people have had down through the years. It's in every area, every facet of life. But I really believe if God's Word says all the more as you see that day approaching that it's disobedience and we are actually despising God's Word and the requirements that God has placed down for believers when we don't recognize the importance of fellowship in God's people. I don't have meetings, three meetings a week, because I think it's fun to have three meetings. Can you imagine a pastor trying to make more work for himself? I look at some of these other pastors, I think it must be nice to be able to preach one time on Sunday and go home and the rest of the week you can do the rest of the church work, but you just have to prepare one message a week. That must be wonderful. And some of them, you know, wouldn't dare go over 30 minutes a message. 30 minutes maximum. I mean, they almost sit there with a time clock and a chime ready to hit it if it's past 12 o'clock. And the pastors, of course, say, well, whatever you want. But can you imagine how much spiritual food a person can get in 30 minutes a week? Now, of course, I'm saying that with the understanding that in most churches, that's all the food some pe most people get in churches today. Whatever the preacher says, that's what they get for the week. They don't study the Word for themselves. They don't try to dig things out for themselves. And you wonder why the church is anemic and why the world is sweeping into the church. The second aspect of this despising of God's Word is people have replaced fellowship with God's people in the order of the church which Christ instituted. Christ gave to the church apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists for the edifying, building up of the saints for the work of the ministry. But they say, well, we're just going to worship in our own home. We don't need a pastor anymore. I had, a, had some families just tell me recently, well, we've been discouraged with two pastors. We don't need pastors anymore. We're going to have our own meetings in our own home and we're going to do our own thing. I said, well, which one of you is going to take spiritual responsibility for the flock? Or we're each going to take responsibility for our, ourselves? I said, that isn't what the Word says. You're either a sheep or a shepherd. Now, you study for yourself in the Scriptures. That's true. You're either a sheep or a shepherd. If you're a sheep, you need a shepherd. If you're a shepherd, you need sheep. No, we don't need a shepherd. The Lord's our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But Peter, he was an under-shepherd because God called him to be an under-shepherd over the flock, and that's why Christ gave to the church gifted men to lead the... He said, all the men I've seen in the church thus far haven't impressed me too much as leaders. I said, 
But there's some that go to the lake and worship the Lord on Sunday, go to their cabin on Sunday. But I just want to say that that's not the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of something in the order that Christ said it should be. You see, he says there are those that have given themselves to the word and prayer and teaching of the word and that you are to support those that are in that ministry, that have that calling. Let me tell you something. It's not fun sometimes to get up and have to teach and know that I'm in a flock where they're going to take it home and they're going to really rattle it around. Some pastors will just get up and preach and they'll always say, wasn't that wonderful? And they'll go home and the next week they'll say, what did he say? I don't remember what he said last week, but that's all right. He'll say something again this week. I've known of cases where I've been invited out to where people are meeting in a lake, they're going to have worship time, and, and basically all it is, they just get together and just have a big conflap. Now, fellowship is great, but it's not the same as what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here, where you get together for edification, for teaching, for building, for growth. Proverbs 28.9 says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law... Even his prayer shall be an abomination. Another translation says God doesn't listen to the prayers of men who flout the law. If the Lord's word says that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and we turn our ear away from hearing his law being taught, God says that even our prayer becomes an abomination to him. I'm talking about people who have found, come to the place where they put in fact, they desire to be away from where the word is being preached to be able to do their own thing. I'm not talking about those that go away because they need a rest, they need a break, a genuine, legitimate break, and then come back and get involved in the work of the ministry again. Another way of despising God's word is coming to church so tired you can't stay awake. Now, I know that can happen from time to time, especially when you have people that work out a lot in the weather and so forth. But you know... I really believe that Christians ought to be very careful that Saturday nights they don't stay out till 2 or 3 o'clock or 1 o'clock in the morning and work and work and work and work until they wear themselves out and they stagger out of bed and they come to church and fall down in the pew and they fall asleep. You see, I, it doesn't hurt me a bit. But if God has something He wants them to hear and they fall asleep. Now the Scripture tells about one that did that. You remember Eutychus? When Paul was preaching, it can kill you. Fall asleep in church, it can kill you. I mean, he fell three floors and, and three stories down and hit the floor and was dead when he hit the floor. And thank God they had a man of God there that could uh, pray for him and raise him up again. You have to be very, very careful that you don't miss what God's trying to say to you when you come because you're so tired. Well, I remember a, a theological professor one time getting up and talking about the Lord wants us to, to weed out all the things in our lives the night before we come to church and get prepared, get the soil prepared for the seed to be planted, and then to be heeding the word. Weeding, seeding, and heeding. I remember him, that outline that he gave one night. And he said, one of the things we need to do is ask the Lord to take our ear, the earwax out of our ears so that we can hear what the Spirit says to the church. You know, we really have to say, Lord, give me hearing ears. The other thing is, and, and I saw this when I was up at the Coal Falls this last time, I, I went to the dean. That was my friend up there, and I said, Brother, I'm, I want to tell you, I was really disturbed. I almost got up and left the platform and went right up and stopped them. And I pointed out who the students were, but all the way through the service, when the vice president of the Christian Missionary Alliance was speaking, he spoke probably for 35 minutes. I mean, the whole time, this one girl sat in the midst of six other people, and there wasn't 10 seconds that she wasn't talking irritating, punching, laughing, keeping them all upset, all inter 
interacting with her through that whole message. She'd sit there and go, look around to see which get one to get next, and she'd reach over and punch the other one, and she'd say something to her and get her laughing. And then when that one would try to listen to the speaker again, she'd reach over and hit someone else. All the way through that service, she's doing that. But I encourage parents to always, if you have your children sitting apart from you, have them sit in front of you or right alongside of you. That way you can always keep an eye on them. The first church that I ministered in out in Colorado, there was a habit that they had set down there. The kids would get through singing in the choir, and they'd head for the balcony. And I got to preaching, and right in the middle of the message, these kids were just going crazy up there, and I just stepped back and just got quiet and kept on and kept on up there, and I stayed quiet and just kept looking down. Pretty soon the parents started looking up and giggling. And I said, you know, the last ones on earth that should giggle are you down here on this first floor. You ought to be ashamed if your kids are up there talking while God's Word is being preached. It's a reflection on who and what you are as a parent. Boy, I wasn't winning friends and influencing people, but I wasn't making very many friends. I'm sorry, I think that it's the time needs to come when parents need to make their children understand when you're in church, you need to hear what God has to say. Write out an outline and bring it home and let's talk over that outline when you get through, when the pastor gets through. And let's compare notes and see who got the best outline of what he had to say and get some insights from what he has to say. I mean, after all, if you're supporting me in the ministry, why let it go down the drain every week? Write it down and take it home and chew it over a little bit. Let's see if, see if what I'm saying is worthwhile. If it's not, why, you know, get somewhere where you get fed. But children need to be taught that you do not just listen lightly to what's being said from God's Word. God is speaking through His servant a message that God's laid on His heart. I go away brokenhearted many times when I see people that I know need a message just off in space somewhere while I'm preaching and it doesn't even touch them. I say, dear God, if your spirit doesn't do it, it's not going to be done. I've actually seen people do everything they could not to listen to messages from time to time. I can still, I'll never forget someone sitting right over on my right one time when I was preaching, and I would say a certain thing and they'd go, <laughs> just literally shake. The whole pew would not listen to that. And they'd almost go like this with their fingers and ears. They did not want to hear God's Word being preached. Why? Because it was stepping on their toes. I'll tell you, God's Word will box your ears. It'll untie your shoes sometime for you. It'll, it'll really straighten you out. But you don't dare quit listening because that's the thing that causes us to be what God wants us to be. Of course, then the other aspect of despising God's Word is what was just read there in Timothy, and that's our church hoppers. We call them cruise-matics. Cruise from one church to another church. Where's the greatest blessing? Oh, your pastor's always on a special series. We'll come and hear him. Oh, that, oh yeah, there. that sounds good. Are the miracles over there? Yeah, we'll go over there. And I want to tell you something. I, I have yet to find anyone productive in the kingdom of God who's a charismatic like that. But I'll tell you one thing. They open themselves up to every kind of spirit that's walking down the aisle. And before long, they, uh, they're ever learning and never coming to a knowledge of. They do not know what submission is. The minute you, they go to a church and the pastor begins to bear down and say, this is what God's word says, now do it. That's legalism, that's bondage. They're not going to tell me what to do. And they'll go to another church somewhere. Now, these are all aspects of despising God's Word. Another aspect of despising God's Word is attending for the wrong reasons. Down through the years of my ministry, I found people who will come to church, and you say, listen, I, I want to say right off the very bat, I'm glad for people to come to church no matter what the excuse is. 
But the thing that really breaks my heart is when you find out that their motivation for coming to church is wrong, and in many cases it doesn't last because they're coming because they, they found a nice girl in that church and they want to come to that church and try to get to know that girl a little bit better. And then if they break up, well, then they're mad at God and they leave the church. Uh, I've seen people who have come to church when their home was just about disintegrated, and they come to church and say, now God give me my wife back or God give me my husband back. And then when it doesn't work out, they leave church again. They're almost bargaining with God. I'll go to church if you'll do thus and such for me. And I want to tell you something. God is not in a bargaining mood. He says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. You know, if God doesn't do a thing for you and me other than just saving us, we're the most fortunate people on the face of the earth. He doesn't have to do another thing for us. If we don't have a stitch of clothes, if we don't have a house to live in, if we don't have a bite of food to eat, he doesn't have to do another thing for us. If we died of a starvation tomorrow, we'd still be fortunate because we'd be able to go to absent from the bodies and be present with the Lord. We must check our motivations for going to church. I thank God some years ago somebody stood up and said, you know, I thank God I get to go to church. I don't have to. I get to go to church and fellowship with God's people. I thought, you know, that's the motivation that God wants to see in our lives. For I can hardly wait to get there. Then, of course, there are some that go for business reasons. You know what I'm talking about, about business reasons? You ever seen insurance men that come to churches? They'll come to church and they'll fleece the whole congregation, go through the whole congregation, and when they just about got them all sold out, then they go and find another church they'll go to, and they'll go through that whole congregation, and they just cruise around from church to church and get as many people as they possibly can. And the first thing you'll notice with most insurance men after a church service, they'll go over and look all over the table to see if there's any membership list with all the telephone numbers and addresses. That's why I say when we hand out the membership list, don't give it to anyone. Just a few years ago we had that problem. Somebody in the church gave one of those lists to an insurance man, and the next thing we knew he was calling saying, well, such and such in the church said to call you about thus and such, and I said, how did you get the number? Well, well, I got the church list from them. I said, well, I'd appreciate if you'd give that church list, list without copying it back to them because that's not for public use. But I've known of people that have gone to a certain church. There are certain churches that businessmen or doctors and attorneys will all go to because they all go to that one church and they, the one hand feeds the other hand. They kind of, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back, and they have this camaraderie that's there. And again, I'm saying all these motivations are improper motivations. It's not necessarily for the preaching of the word, but this is the kind of crowd I want to be with. And that motivation is improper. I want you to look at Proverbs 1.7 with me a minute. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, you see, there's two things the Scripture tells us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And here it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Knowledge, someone said, is the accumulation of facts. Wisdom is the application of those facts. Now, a lot of people that are very knowledgeable, they have a lot of sense, a lot of knowledge, a lot of brain power, but they don't have horse sense worth anything. We used to call them educated idiots. They don't know how to apply it to everyday life. But when you know the Lord, now when it means know the Lord, it doesn't mean, uh, oh yeah, I know the Lord. It means he is very close and very precious and very dear to you. 
That's when he begins to impart knowledge of the eternal things in light of, of this present life and knowledge of this present life in the light of eternity. And then he gives you wisdom to know how to apply that in your daily life. But if you despise the preaching of God's Word, preachers that God placed in the body to teach, then God says that you are despising. In reality, you're despising Him. He said, if they reject you, they reject me. If they reject me, they reject Him that sent me. Now, if He calls a man to preach and you do not listen to what that man says, who are you really not listening to if He is God's spokesman? Now, I'm not saying I am your God. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that God in His Word gives truths and lays messages on the heart of a pastor who's called of God to preach. And if you reject that message, if it's from the Word, you're rejecting the Word because it's just like a man is de delivering a telegram from the President of the United States. If you reject him, I mean, if you reject a telegram, you're not rejecting that delivery boy. And contrary, wise, if you, if you tell a delivery boy you don't want anything to do with him, in reality, you're rejecting the message that's come from the President of the United States. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I have sent it. Now, let me just say that if you and I come into a church service and we fall asleep and do not hear God's Word to be declared that day, and we go out that next week and a situation comes up to where had you heard the message, it would have prepared you for that situation, and you stumble and fall, you can't blame the pastor and you can't blame God because he tried to warn you. It's like the man that was in a flood one time and the flood got up to the first story and he was in the second story of his house and he finally climbed out on the roof and he said, Lord, I want you to save me from this flood. And a motorboat came along. The guy pulled up alongside the roof and said, come on, get in. We'll go. He said, no, I'm just praying that God's going to deliver me. It wasn't very long before another man came along with a helicopter and saw him and lowered down over the roof and said, come on, get a hold of the ladder. He said, no, I'm praying that God will save me. And before long, another man came along in a boat and said, come on, get in. He says, this flood's getting right up to the top of the house. The house is going to collapse. He said, no, I'm just asking. I'm believing God to deliver me. Well, the house was swept away and the man was killed. And when he got to heaven, he said, God, why didn't you save me? He said, you dummy, I sent three people to save you, but you wouldn't listen to them. What's the matter with you? I gave you three opportunities. Well, he was looking for that supernatural way out. Many times God will speak just through a word that comes from a brother or a sister or a pastor to meet the need that you have. And if you're saying, oh God, I'm just looking to you and you alone. There have been times when God spoke through my wife and I didn't hear it, and afterwards I thought, boy, from now on I'll listen to what my wife says too, because God can speak through her. And you don't have to agree with everything a pastor says, but you need at least need to listen to see that he might say something along the way, sooner or later, that will be helpful. 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter in the eighth verse. Well, let me go back one verse here. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath given unto us His Holy Spirit. So he says, when we despise the things that God prepares for us and presents to us, we're despising not just that person that's presenting it to us, but we're despising God Himself. 
And the end result is we injure ourselves. You just hold with me for just a few more verses here. Proverbs, the 8th chapter, verses 34 through 36. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. He's talking there about wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you don't like to receive wisdom, if you don't like to hear wisdom, he says that you're going to be the one that's going to be hurt because it, you wrong your own soul and all that hate me love death. If we don't love wisdom, we love death. Wisdom is found in God's Word as it's being declared. Psalm 1, 4 through 6. But the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgments, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. He says when we turn away from God's word, we become chaff. When we despise his word and turn away from truth, we turn to darkness. We turn from the light. Great is the darkness thereof. And one more verse, Hebrews the 12th chapter, 25. See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Jesus Christ, dwelling in his servants, speaking the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, his word is authoritative. And he said, if you think Moses' word was powerful in the Old Testament and people turned away from that and you saw what happened to them, how much sorer punishment will we have? How much more will we have to answer for if we despise the preaching of God's Word? If we despise prophesying? If we don't hear what we're supposed to hear? Jesus is speaking to us from His Word, the authoritative Word of God. And so He says it's very essential for us to understand that we literally need to hunger and thirst after righteousness. If we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we shall be filled. I have never yet seen a hungry, I mean a really hungry person, fall asleep while they're eating. Have you? I mean, that food keeps them wide awake. In fact, when I'm traveling, I found out that if I just carry a little bag of, of uh, organically grown wheat right down next to my chair and put that in my mouth and chew on that, I won't fall asleep while I'm driving. I at one time had problems. I fell asleep while I was driving. And so I carry a glass of ice water in my little container right in front of me and the wheat right next to me. I find out if I'm eating, I don't fall asleep. But if I just sit there and don't eat and drive for long periods of time, I can start getting groggy. Well, I want to tell you something. If you're sitting in a church service and you're not eating, it's very easy to lose interest and fall asleep. But if you're eating and you're hungry and you're starved and you're asking God to feed you and give you something for your, for your soul... You'll walk away not the least bit tired. You see, generally speaking, I don't care how lousy the speaker is. Now, you can ask anybody, especially with a teacher motivation. I don't care how terrible the sermon is. If they even quote a scripture verse, the Spirit of God can apply that to your heart. And boy, you'll take off after every rabbit in the country. And you'll come out of there saying, man, I got something out of that one verse. And I close with this illustration. A man was leaving church one Sunday, and he said, I really, really got a blessing today out of that message. And he said, well, he said, I appreciate you saying it. He said, what part of the message was it that you enjoyed the most? 
He said, well, I have to tell you something. I didn't hear the message. After you read that first verse, the Spirit of God began to deal with me. And he said he really put me in a place where I realized areas of my life that were in real problems. But he said, just the very verse that you read to me spoke to my heart. And I couldn't get away from it. And the Spirit of God has done a work in my life, and I'm a different person because of it today. So if you only find one verse the Spirit of God speaks to you about, the rest of it may not be that important or that interesting to you, but you have to come literally hungry. I'll, I'll take anything I can get. And I'll go away and chew on whatever God gives me from your message and believe that I'll grow from it. I didn't think I'd be preaching two or three messages on the subject of despising prophesying. But it's, it's a very important thing for us to understand in this day and age that people need to realize the importance of hearing God's Word. And whether it's studying the Word for ourselves, which we're going to get into next, or the preaching of the Word, or when prophecies are made over us, or us prophesying. We don't dare despise prophecy, even though we've seen false prophecies. We have seen some false prophecies. We don't dare despise them. We have to ask the Lord to help us have discernment to tell the true from the false, and really expect and believe God has something to say to us as a body of believers. 1 Thessalonians 5th chapter, we just finished the portion on despise not prophesying. And it's been an interesting thing. I, after I got all through, I kept looking for literature materials that I could study concerning prophets in the New Testament and Old Testament. And I couldn't find any books on the subject until I got over to Titusville last week. And I saw a nice booklet in there, one of those thinner booklets, but a booklet on New and Old Testament prophets. And I brought it home thinking, well, maybe the Lord's got something else for me to say about prophecy before I move on. And I read that book all the way through, and I, everything that that book said, I have already said in that series, in this series that I've preached to you on prophets, and even some things that he didn't say, I said, I thought, maybe I should have written the book. I don't know. I, uh, the Lord gave me more uh, things to talk about concerning prophecy and I hope that you will understand more about the fact that God wants us to prophesy. He wants us to be able to receive prophecy, and He wants us to be able to discern between true and false prophecy. But tonight I want to talk about 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Prove all things, hold to that which is good. Now first of all, let me just tell you that that was not written to the pastor. That was written to the church of Thessalonica. Now I want that to be very clear to you so that you will know that what he's saying, he's not saying to the ordained minister, he's saying it to the believer. Prove all things, hold that which is good. You see, I, I, the thing that has really concerned me, and Lou hit on it a little bit tonight, and that the church today is filled with people who are just satisfied. I remember some years ago a man who was attending this church when I was teaching on holiness and when I was teaching on commitment and I was teaching on giving yourselves to the Word of God and so forth. One time he just spoke up and he said, isn't it enough just to be saved? Isn't it enough to be going to heaven? I mean, we have to add all this other stuff to it? I said, we're not adding anything. When you are saved, you're just born and then you begin to grow. How would you like to be lying in a basket 16 years after you were born, not able to speak, or to walk, or to sit up, or to feed yourself. I want to tell you something. There are many people that have been in churches longer than 16 years that spiritually are that same way. Years ago, I gave the illustration of a pastor out in Nebraska who went to a hospital, 
And when he went into the hospital, it was for people who were quadriplegic, people that could not function too well. And he went from one unit to another until he came to the worst unit, and, wa and the nurse took him over and pulled back a curtain and showed him a, a crib or a basket, like a big basket. And in this basket was a creature lying there, no arms, no legs, no lips, no nose, just, just sockets where the eyes were supposed to be, just holes where the ears were supposed to be. And the mouth was, the, there was an opening for a mouth and some jagged teeth in there, but uh, no lips as such. And full head of hair, and he said, how long has this been here? He said, 16 years he's been lying in it. So we turn him continuously back and forth and prop him up from time to time. But uh, he's never seen light. He's never been able to, as far as we know, he can hear, but he can't comprehend anything. He just, he just grunts and groans and can't talk. And he's 16 years he's laying there. When I heard that, I thought, you know, I've seen a lot of people who call themselves Christians like that spiritually after many, many years of being in a church. And I want to tell you something. That is not New Testament Christianity. That's not Bible belief. That's not what the Word of God teaches, that we can just sit back and soak it in until Jesus comes. I want to tell you something right now, and I hope if you have a piece of paper, write it down, and say, if I do not study the Word of God for myself, I can expect spiritual defeat. If I do not study the Word of God for myself, I can expect spiritual defeat. So don't be surprised if you don't read the Word of God, if you don't study the Word of God, if you don't pray and ask the Lord for direction. Let me tell you something. It's hard enough for me as a pastor to walk from week to week in obedience to God's Word. When I'm studying the Word every single day, I don't know how men do it when they never open the Bible. But you can expect spiritual problems throughout the rest of your life if you don't learn to get into the Word of God for yourself and study it and know what the Word of God says. 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verse 2. Moreover, it is suggested in stewards that a man be found faithful. If you don't do anything else sometime, go find out what that word required means. It means it's mandatory. Verse 1. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We're stewards of the mysteries of God. What's a steward? Someone who's in charge of somebody else's something. God has commissioned us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's his message, and he's given it to us. You realize that all the angels in heaven would give anything if they could break through the heavens and come and declare the gospel all over the earth instantly. But Paul says that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching, the foolishness of preaching to declare the gospel. And he says, now I have made you stewards. You have within you right now truth and light in this earthen vessel of yours that the world is starving to be able to receive. They may not act like they're starving, but they're starving to receive it. And he said, you are a steward and I'm going to hold you responsible for what you do with that truth. What you do with that light, I'm going to hold you responsible for he said, Brother Webb, this is heavy. I came to get blessed tonight. I'll tell you, if you begin to experience what I'm talking about, you will get blessed. See, because God's Word says, if you obey me, you're going to have fullness of life. It's when people say, well, that just sounds like a drag to me. It's because you are, you're having a love problem. If you don't love the Word of God, you have a love problem. How 
many of you remember, most of, well, a lot of you here are married tonight. How many of you remember when your sweetheart used to write you letters and notes? Did you leave it on the, on the table all week and say, well, if I get at it this weekend, I might look at it? I remember when I was home from school, from college in the summertime, I wrote at least, at least one 10, 12 page letter every single day. Sometimes if I'd forget something, I'd write a second one before I went to bed at night to send it off to Beverly. And boy, when she would goof up and didn't get to the post office and there wasn't a letter at that mailbox the next day, I was really upset. I was really concerned. I haven't heard from her in a day. What am I going to do? Sometimes, one time it went three days and I got on the phone and said, what's going on here? I can't stand this. I've got to hear from you. Well, I was just, and she gave all these reasons why she couldn't get to the post office. I said, I don't want to hear it. Get to the post office. Why? I wanted to hear from the person that I loved. And she, had, she didn't have to beg me to read that letter. You know this is God's love letter to us? It's not some dry book. It's a love letter. And if we really love the Lord, we want to hear what He has to say to us. It's written to us. It's written for us. And He said it's required. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. What does it mean? If God gave us something to give to someone else and we don't do it, we're not faithful. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It says you to glorify your Father which is in heaven with good works. And then when people ask you why you did this, you can tell them that it's because of the law. Required of a steward that he found faithful. First Peter, the fourth chapter, verse 10. Now he's talking about loving one another and so forth here. Verse 9, he says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, now he's talking about, I believe here, your motivational gift, and it's in a singular form. And every man that hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then he tells how to continue to function. If any man speak, let him speak as of the oracles of God. If you minister, let him do it as ability with God given, and so forth. But he says there in that verse, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister. Now, I want you to know that there isn't one of us here that has not received a motivational gift. You see what that it just simply means that there's a certain thing that you enjoy doing more than anything else. You have a bent toward that that you can't help. Every one of us have a motivational gift. When we do what God wants us to do, we're not in pain and agony doing it. It's something that that's what we normally like to do anyway. Some people have the gift of hospitality. There's some people that will invite people into their homes on a regular basis. Other people say, well, I don't have that gift. That doesn't eliminate you from the responsibility of still inviting people into your home. But there are other people that just comes to them naturally. They just love to do it. Well, if you have that gift, God says it's your responsibility as a steward to use and function in that gift. The word prove there in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. Doikimadso. I know that you'll be saying that all week. Doikimadso. Prove all things. It means to test, to try, to judge. Now, Vine adds one more thing there. He says it's testing and trying with the expectation of approving. He's not saying to be critical to where you're trying to find where somebody, how you can criticize someone or cut somebody apart or tear somebody down. 
But rather, when you hear truth, you say, boy, that sounds wonderful. I'm going to confirm it with a word here. That, that's a new truth for me to hide away in my heart. It's not like, oh, look, I'm going to try to see if I can nail that dude to the wall. I think that's totally wrong or something. No, that's not the attitude he's talking about. He's saying it's the testing, trying, and judging when you hear things with the expectation of approving it. One of the commentators says it's like a, an assayer when he's testing coins or testing metal to see if it's genuine or not, or if it's the full weight on a special scale they have to have to make sure that's the full weight of what they say it would be, or if it's genuine. You know, there were times when, uh, in the past, when people would take one metal and put it on the inside and then coat it with gold. And uh, they'd try to sell it as a gold bar and gold coins and so forth. And the sayers had to be able to check that out and make sure the weight was exactly right. And it's pretty hard to put any other kind of metal inside of gold and make it come out at the same weight. And uh, they could give it to somebody that was a storekeeper or some amateur, but they couldn't give it to an assayer. So he knew that there was a certain standard to operate by, and he could always tell if there was something wrong with it. Well, the, the reason he says we're to test, try, and judge is because we have a standard that we can go by. The Word. So he said, and now well, let me ask you something. How can an assayer test metal or coins for their weight if he doesn't have a scale or materials or equipment to do it with? He can't test. How can a person judge, try, or test teaching if you don't know what the Word says? See how imperative it is? Scripture says that we're to know the Scripture so that every wind of doctrine coming along won't blow us over. We're to be rooted and grounded in the truth. And you say, well, I'm not there yet. Well, you've got other brothers in the church that can help you if you have difficulty getting there, but don't stop and say, well, I just can't do it because I just, I just can't seem to grow. I've had people say, you know, I don't understand the Bible when I read it. Well, first of all, get a, get a simpler translation if you want to. The Word of God says that we're, as babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, just like a baby desires milk in a bottle. may not understand everything that's in it, but you just keep taking it and taking it and taking it, and before long, the Spirit of God will begin to bring it back to your remembrance. Oh, yeah, I read that. Oh, yeah. I see. And all of a sudden, they'll start, things will start coming together. You know, after being, in the, being a Christian for 40 years and in the ministry for over 30 years, I start studying on a subject, and while I'm studying, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God just brings up this portion, this portion. They, they all start coming together. Now, that didn't happen when I first started preaching. You have no idea the agony I went through when I first came to my first church and had to preach. I didn't learn it all in Bible school, I guarantee you, but I would just pray and pray and pray and read over portions of Scripture and read other sermons and read other ideas and begin to seek the Lord. And before long, I'd, I'd put a sermon together and get up, and it worked. But I had to start somewhere. What I'm saying, it doesn't make any difference where you are right now. If you and I don't study, we're going to get into spiritual trouble. But if we do read, even if we don't understand it all, if we read and say, Lord, please help my spirit to be quickened. Please help me to begin to get truth down in my heart. Scripture says, hide the word of God away in your heart. If you'll do it, the spirit of God will begin to bring it back up because the word of God will not return void. It'll accomplish the purpose wherewith it was sent forth. You know, sometimes I hear people say, well, I'm just so busy. I'm just so tired, and I understand that. You know something? We're too busy, and we're too tired, and we need to set new priorities. We need to examine everything. Whenever we do, whenever you have a church that does this, 
you're going to find that God's going to honor the people in that church. And I want you to see in Acts, the 17th chapter, verse 10, Paul's talking about the Bereans. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed. These weren't even Christians. These were Jews that heard the word of God and it wasn't enough to hear it. They went home and searched the scripture to see if they were so, if it were so, and consequently, they believed. If you don't know how to study the Word, let me just encourage you to take tapes of different messages home and put them on your tape player and write out an outline as best you can from it and take the Scripture verses down and then study the verses for yourself two or three times. If it's on a certain subject, it'll get, make you aware of the verses that have to do with that subject. One of the best things that ever happened to me as a young Christian was when I got a hold of those little booklets by Dr. DeHaan. It had four little messages in it every month. And I would take those things and study them and read them. He had it on the second coming. He had it on Israel. He had it on Palestine. He had it on faith. He had it on the blood. He had it on, on the virgin birth. All these different things where it was just a four little sermons that you could study on that one thing. Now, I've taken those little booklets and handed them out to new Christians. I, I gave some to Rick not too long ago, a whole pile of them. And he came back and said, well, I've read all those. You got any more? You know. Well, that's encouraging me when I see people digging. Had a young man out in our church in Denver, Colorado, went into the hospital to visit one of our members, and here he was lying in the bed across from the member, and he had a bunch of dirty magazines lying on his bed. And I went over and talked to him for a few minutes and told him about the Lord. And I said, would you mind if I bring you some good material to read, better than this stuff? And he said, no, I wouldn't mind. So I took him some of those little Dehan booklets. I came back two days later to visit this member again, and he said, you got any more of those things? I've read all these two and three times a piece. I said, yeah, I'll get you some more, and I brought him a pile almost that high. Gave them to him, came back in two or three days to visit this other member, and he said, hey, you got any more of those books? I've read all these two or three times. They're really interesting. And I noticed all of his dirty magazines were gone. I said, yeah, I'll bring you some more. So I brought him a bunch more, and the long and short of it was, as soon as he got out of the hospital, he came to church, came forward, and accepted Christ had been sick all of his life, a hole in his heart, bone marrow problems. They were using him as a guinea pig. He would be out of bed one day and in bed three days, out of bed one day and in bed three And after he'd come to church and, and go right home and go to bed, he'd come to choir practice and go home and go to bed, come to prayer meeting go home and go to bed. And one day he came to our house and knocked. He said, how can God use me like this? He said, is it possible that God could heal me so that I could serve him? I said, if you believe that he can, he can I told him about James 5. I said, you go home and pray about it. So he prayed and he came back, knocked on the door with tears in his eyes and opened the door. He said, I'm ready to be prayed for. Reverend and I prayed for him. He said, I'm not going back to bed. I said, I don't do anything foolish. But if God touched you, that's marvelous. That next year, he signed up to Biola Bible College and went to Biola Bible College and didn't go back to bed. He came back the next summer and did construction work in Denver area for the whole summer to earn his money to go back to Biola. Went back to Biola the second year, and that next summer went to Mexico as a short-term missionary in the summertime. Well, he's got a family out in California now. He teaches school and works in the church out there and has three children. Now, again, here is a fellow who was hungry for the Word. 
Now, remember what I said. Now, hear me again. If you don't enjoy reading, you're defeated. You'll never make it through. You have got to learn to read. You've got to learn to like to read. If you can't get this in, there's no way it's going to be light inside of you. Set it in your heart above everything else. I'm going to know how to, and I'm going to begin to make myself enjoy reading. Turn off that idiot box called a television set and sit down and make yourself read. I don't care if you have to read Mr. Zeus or whatever. Just something simple to get started to learn how to read, but re learn to read. Absolutely imperative, please. You see, whenever God has called people to be his servants, he doesn't want us to disregard or discard our reasoning ability. God says you're to use your reasoning ability based upon the word of God to judge between that which is true and that which is not true. Don't just believe it because some enthusiastic, excited preacher said it's so. There's a lot of enthusiastic, excited preachers that are saying things that are not so, and you and I need to know this. Search it out for ourselves. A lot of times they'll say things that sound really good and they make you feel good, and you see a lot of other people following after very excitedly, but be careful and make sure that you know that you know that it's true. Prove all things, hold to that which is good. That word hold means embrace, to abide by it. Now this is an interesting thing. He says, once you prove something, don't be double-minded about it. It becomes a truth, and then it must become a conviction. Not a persuasion, a conviction. You know what the greatest problem in the church today, one of the greatest problems is? A lot of people have persuasions, but no conviction. I have seen people go to a Calvinistic church, and the preacher preaches messages on Calvinism. They sit there as dumb as stump. They don't, can't even tell the difference what he's talking about. The next Sunday, they'll even go to another church, and the guy's preaching pure Armenianism. And they don't even catch one thing that he's saying. Just, whoa, well, wasn't that a wonderful message? And they can't tell the difference between the one. And then they go to a charismatic church. Then they'll go to a, a fighting fundamentalist church. And they don't pick up one signal that there's two opposite things being taught there. Why? We'll just flow through until Jesus comes. No, it says when you prove something and get a truth down in your heart, make it a conviction. But what happens when it becomes a conviction? You embrace it. You abide by it. Once you've established it, it's to be held on regardless of what the popular opinion is, regardless of what prejudices might say, or regardless of the ridicule that may be poured upon you for believing on it. That's why the prophets always had trouble, because they had convictions. Once you know a truth from God's word, you must embrace it even if martyrdom is required. And the Holy Spirit came on all the apostles. With the exception of John the Beloved, every one of them had such a conviction that they were willing to pour out their lives for that conviction. Jesus said, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We're not to love the world or the world system. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And so whatever this says, once we know what it says, we're to stand on it and not be moved regardless of what people say. Now, I say this because right now, we're, like I said, we're coming into an era with this new age as we're talking about, this new world order that's coming in. Well, they're not saying that sin is the worst thing that can happen to you. In our school, they recently had a young girl that wanted to give a report on the life of Jesus Christ. Their teacher says you can't do that. But that same teacher was allowing people to give reports on transcendental meditation, on Satanism, and several other occult and Eastern religion 
subject, but she could not give it on Jesus Christ. We're coming in, in the days ahead to where the buzzword in the world is not going to be, is it right or is it wrong? Is it tolerance or intolerance? And they're already setting the whole schedule up to where they're saying, and they've already written it down in many of their writings. Maddox had a man on that's written about 20 or 30 books on these different subjects. The man has three doctorates, has taught at three universities, very well-versed man. And he read literature to us that's already been written that says that evangelical, fundamental, charismatic, Pentecostal-type Christians are ignorant, stupid people in general who are so simple-minded that there is no means of restoring them. We can't re-educate them. So eventually they are going to have to be abolished or muffled in such a way that they can't say anything because they're intolerant. That's the word. They haven't missed it one iota. If you're a genuine Christian, you are very intolerant. What do I mean by that? When I say that a Christian is intolerant, what do I mean by that? People say, well, Christians are narrow-minded. Well, Jesus was narrow-minded. He didn't say, I'm one of many ways. He said, I want to tell you something. You'll either believe on me and go to heaven, or you'll not believe on me and you'll go to hell. He that rejects me rejects the Father. He went on, to get us in trouble, he says, he that rejects you rejects me, and he rejects me rejects him that sent me. So he says, I'm tying you in with me. How many of you know that we're coming to a day and age when more and more we're going to find pressures against believers? And I, see, I'm trying to settle this in your heart to realize that your pastor and the officers and the workers in the church are not going to be able to take care of you in the days ahead on the street seven days a week. You're going to have to be prepared in your own heart to stand and say, thus saith the Lord. You can't say that here. I will say it because the Word says it. Well, we'll throw you in prison. I'll say it in prison. I wonder how many would. Years ago in China, I was told when the communists took over, they went to a Christian orphanage over there. And there were some hundred and some children in that little orphanage, and they tore a cross down off of the top of the building, laid it down in front of the door, and told the children, you come out. If you step and walk across the cross, if you step on the cross and walk out along the cross and step off of it, you're free to go. If you walk around it, you'll be shot said a large number of the children walked around the cross and were shot one after another. Several of them walked across the cross and left and later on came back and begged them to shoot them. You come down to that place where it's got to be something where you hold on to it, prove all things. And once you know that Jesus is who he says he is and his word is sure on certain subjects, don't move. You know why? Because next year their standards will be different but yours will still be the same. Hold on to them. That which is good, and nothing is good unless it's consistent with the Scriptures. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that the Lord Jesus Christ is in you except ye be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. We're not counterfeits. And that reprobate means someone who has been disapproved on trial and rejected. And that word examine means test and evaluate. Adokamos. It says, hey, check yourself out. Paul saying to the church of Corinth believers there, it's time to check yourself out. Examine yourself to see if you really are in the faith. Are you really a Christian? Is Jesus really Lord of your life? Are you committed to 
proving to all things and holding to them regardless of what the world says. wonder what would happen if all of a sudden something would happen in the United States where the government were overthrown and they started coming to the churches and saying to most churches, either walk across or walk around. wonder how many would walk around. How many would walk across. Youth for Christ years ago had a program where they would go into churches and during the service, nobody would knew about this, but suddenly military, paramilitary outfits on, guys would come in all the doors with guns in their hands and say, all right, we're taking over now, and everyone who says they're a Christian, I want them to stand, and if you stand, you're going to be shot. Otherwise, stay seated. And people were really scared. They did this back in Colorado. People were really afraid. And after the thing was all over, a lot of them did stand up, they afterwards said, what kind of reaction did you have down inside? Did you have fear? Or did you really have that commitment already settled in your heart that regardless of whether I'm shot or not, I will not sit down when somebody asks if I'm a Christian stand up? It's a test and it says, examine yourself. Last night when I was in that jail service, I asked if anybody wanted to, wasn't a Christian, nobody raised their hand, I said, how many of you know for sure that you're saved? And all but about two or three of them raised their hand. And I said, now isn't that interesting? Some of you didn't raise your hand, even though you didn't raise your hand to be saved, you already know that you're lost and outside of Christ. You know, the Spirit of God will show us when we examine ourselves whether we're in the faith or not. Let me tell you, the churches are filled today with people who are not really in faith. Oh, they're, they're religious. Yes, they believe in Jesus, but they're not interested in making Him Lord of their lives and putting the Word of God as a priority in their life. That's not exciting to them. Then 1 Peter 3, 15. We can go back to 14. But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror or intimidation, neither be troubled. But sanctify, that word sanctify means put it in the right place, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer Every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. There's so many people today that are attending church who during the week compromise, get angry, curse, swear, fight, steal. They come to church and they just want to be told good things. But I want to tell you tonight, the scripture says examine yourself. And if you're truly in the faith, then your life will be changed. If you're not in the faith, then you need to sanctify the Lord God in your heart. That means put Him where He belongs, on the throne of your heart. See, going to church isn't going to do a thing for you or me. But coming to church because we want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and take these things that we learn and study them for ourselves and to grow deeper in the things of the Lord will make us grow up. You know what the greatest thrill to me will be when the day comes that I can just go to any man in my congregation and say, I want you to preach next Sunday and they'll be able to do it. Why? Because they've got a reservoir of truth in their heart that they're ready to get up and say something. One of our teenagers here recently said, I've got three more sermons ready, Pastor, whenever you want me to speak. They're all done. I've got them all written out, ready to go. That's kind of exciting. Prove all things hold of that which is good. That's not a suggestion. That's a command that the Lord gives us because He wants us to have life abundantly can't start any younger. If you start tomorrow as the first day of the rest of your life, you've still got time to grow a lot in the Lord. 
Isn't it wonderful the Lord challenges us like this? It'd be a lot easier just to preach on heaven. But if I did, a lot of people wouldn't get there because they don't understand the cost. You see, somebody said, you know, Jesus is trying to change me. He's really working me over. He's not trying to change you. He's trying to kill you. That's right. He's trying to kill you. He wants you to die. You get that old man to die and get Christ on the throne of your life. He's not just trying to beat you up. He's trying to kill you. That's what Paul said. I'm crucified with Christ. He said, I want you to die to yourself and your own desires. And I want you to live for me. I want you to let me live my life out through you. You don't know the word. You can't get the truth down your heart. The word down your heart. Then the Holy Spirit has nothing to work with. I encourage you to get the word in your heart. And when you do, there's nothing in the world that can give peace to your heart like that when the problems come. Lord, it really looks hard right now, but I thank you ahead of time that the word says, God is able to make all grace abound toward me that I, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. For we know that all things work together for good and then love God. Those who are called according to his purpose. What am I doing? I'm pulling up truth out of my heart, light out of my heart. And I'm saying those words because those words, hear, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. You've got to hide that word away in your heart so that it'll begin to build you up. Now let me tell you something. Nobody can continue to feed you a baby bottle the rest of your life. You have to grow. You have to chew on the meat. You have to get going. Before long, you'll find yourself feeding others. And that's the exciting part. Ministering to others. 